This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. It's Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we're so pleased to host here at Core Brain Journal. We have so many interesting guests. I mean, it's been an educational experience for me, and you can tell I'm getting educated because I probably say wow and oh my gosh too much on these recordings. And one person that I really uh, appreciate having on previously was Dr. Gleb Sapersky from Ohio. We're going to talk more about his intro in just a moment. But one of the things he has really been strong on is how we really think about truth, trust, and the evolution of humankind. Sounds a little deep, but you know, if we don't get it straight from the people that are ruling our nations and, and really purportedly taking care of us, then what are we involved in? And so we're really looking forward to hearing Gleb talk more about that. Welcome, Gleb. We look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's a pleasure. Well, Gleb, to tell you a little bit about him in just a minute, is a great guy, and he's just very articulate about this, and he has a he has a website called Intentional Insights. We'll come to that in just a minute. Let me tell you a couple of words here. Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Direct Health Access Laboratory. They are international leaders in molecular testing for mind science details. With over 3 million studies, they provide deep experience with the usefulness of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges, all of which directly affect brain function. Folks, I had two new evaluations today in my office, and both of them were riddled with these problems and really need to get some more testing, and they're, they're for it. At Direct Health Access, their innovative insights improve treatment priorities through a global service with a molecular focus. So it's not about pictures. It's not about appearances. It's about the biomedical reality. Connect your provider with a PDF on how and why these tests work for treatment failure at adhlab.com, singular, adhalab.com forward slash core. You know why I slipped on that one. Stay tuned for more details. And Core Brain Journal is also sponsored by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, where they provide fresh options to address the complexity of child and adolescent treatment failure, even if they've been in an acute care hospital, from their issues with behavior imbalances to, in fact, substance abuse, both nationally and internationally. Why do we say internationally? Because they are very deep providers of TRICARE, and a lot of their uh, students, clients, kids come in from TRICARE families who are scattered all over the world. Most interesting is their deep focus on data-driven biomedical advances that measure specifics on what to do with treatment failures even after multiple hospitalizations or extensive outpatient work, these folks are looking at brain and biomedicine with adolescents and children, not the usual approach for residential care. Review their innovative programs at barryrobinson.org. That's B-A-R-R-Y, robinson.org, forward slash core. More information coming later in the program. And then just a brief note from our friends and deep colleagues over at Studio Center Headed over there by the really wonderful and unusual person, William Prettyman, CEO. He is a fantastic guy. He's been a friend of mine for years. 
met him at the gym a long time ago down at Waring's in, North, uh, in Virginia Beach here. His nickname is Woody, and Woody over at Studio Center has a number of centers all over the United States. We have a privilege of having him here in Virginia Beach. And his production team, including uh, most especially Jeremy Goodall, has been very helpful with the production here at, at Core Brain Journal. They've been a great help for almost two years. And they're going to be featured on our special thanks page, which I'm building really just because of what they've done for us over here. So now let's get on to business and hear about, talk about truth and the reality of how people should handle themselves in the future. Dr. Gleb Zapersky is from Columbus, Ohio. He provides expertise in science-based decision-making. Get that, science-based decision-making and emotional and social intelligence to help leaders and organizations avoid the disaster of not really thinking in realistic terms. He researches these topics as a tenure-track professor at The Ohio State University's Decision Sciences Collaborative and History Department. I don't know other universities that are having those kinds of things, but they certainly do out at Ohio State. Gleb runs a nonprofit that popularizes science-based strategies for effective decision-making, for goal achievement, for emotional and social intelligence, meaning and purpose, mental and emotional well-being, and get this, altruism in politics, business, and other life areas. He's featured very specifically on our mindset page, corebrainjournal.com forward slash mindset, where we have a number of guest speakers who have talked about how you really should think more carefully about how you think and then how to apply it correctly. So Intentional Insights is his specific website. He publishes articles on these topics in prominent venues and appears regularly as a guest expert on TV, radio, podcast, videocast. He's an Amazon best-selling author. He is most well-known for this book, Find Your Purpose Using Science, and his new book, Pro-Truth Politics, Fighting Post-Truth Politics and Alternative Facts with Behavioral Science is coming up soon. He does speaking and training consulting and coaching for current and future leaders and teams. He's right there on the spot in mid-size and large corporations. He is a consultant. He, his personal website is Gleb Sapersky, is T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y, Sapersky. And you can email him at gleb at intentionalinsights.org. So this is really, I'm looking forward to it. Hesitating for a moment because you got so much that you're doing, and it's so creative and so comprehensive. It's really kind of a question of where do we start this conversation? And I think one place to start it is the evolution of your thinking that took you to this new book. I want to take everybody back to the previous interview that we had at Core Brain Journal forward slash 124 because that's a good basis for this conversation. It's a preparation in a way, but don't worry. You don't have to go back there. We're going to still hit it. But I think the next issue is, Gleb, how did you happen to take it down really to the larger political arena of how this really plays out in political life? So for in the 2015 that was the year, that was the crucial year, when the presidential primary season took off in the United States and also the Brexit campaign in the UK 
And I saw a lot of lying and deception going on in both contexts and a great deal of lying, a great deal of deception. And my goal, my calling, my mission, my vocation is to help people make good decisions in life. And you know what they say about how information leads to decisions, garbage in, garbage out. Well, if people don't have good information, they can't make good decisions about politics. And there was so much bad information and people were making bad decisions as a result of this bad information, as a result of fake news, post-truth politics, these sorts of problems. And that's what led me to refocus my energy away from what we mentioned earlier, kind of helping people find their meaning and purpose in life and so on and consulting to focusing much more on the political arena and helping people find their way there through the morass of fake news and post-truth politics and alternative facts into the truth of reality. And that's my focus right now. And that's what I'm working on with this new book, Pro-Truth, uh, Fighting Fake News and Post-Truth Politics with Behavioral Science, which I'm working on right now. You know, Gleb, it's so much fun listening to you because in a way, all of our listeners know that you're stating the obvious. But the interesting thing about stating the obvious is really nobody except you is proposing an answer for that problem. I mean, it's sort of like, what do we do? Everybody's wringing their hands. I mean, we know that there's fake news. We know that the Russians came in and actually controlled parts of the election based on mm -hmm. fake news. There's plenty of evidence that that's true. Then we have the candidates themselves who clearly delivered fake news on a regular basis, you know. So but we're all like, what do we do? What do we do? So this is why I'm so pleased to actually get in and have a conversation because you're a professor, you're a science-based guy, you want the data, and you have some answers that can tell us, look, here are some things we collectively as a society can do together if we just put our heads together to get rid of the games that are currently going on. It's you're talking about the evolution of society here. It's not yes. just politics. This is the this is the evolution of humankind. I mean, if we're one of the most developed nations in the world and we're we're going for stories and narrative as opposed to data, then where are we going? This is a big one. So thank you for coming on board. Let's talk a little bit about that transition in how you began to organize those thoughts into, hey guys, here's how we can do it. You're absolutely right that there are so many problems, people who realize that these are the problems, but they really don't do anything about them. And this is a big issue, Charles. This is a big problem that people acknowledge that this is an issue, but they simply feel no hope. They're hopeless. They don't know anything they can do. And when I start to talk to people, I start to tell them about these actually effective strategies. Here are things they can do. They tell me that I'm giving them back hope and they're starting to feel real hope that something concrete can be done, especially because what I'm doing is backed by science, by clear research and evidence of effective impact. We've recently conducted a study here at Ohio State, which I'll tell you about in the show, which shows that what we are, these strategies, these tactics that I'm about to share are actually highly effective in getting people to avoid sharing misinformation. So this is all research-based stuff, folks, backed by peer-reviewed studies. And this is very important. This is 
an issue that we need to address through using research. So what I did and others who are involved in this project is look at the behavioral science of what causes people to lie, what causes people to share misinformation. There are so many people who are sharing misinformation, fake news in the 2015-2016 election that Russia and other foreign agents, but mainly Russia, capitalized on, and of course some domestic agencies, they capitalized on that to such an extent that there was a study uh, conducted of the fake news in the 2016 election, a study that looked at the top 20 fake news stories about the election-related fake news stories in the three months before the 2016 presidential election and compared to them to the top 20 real news stories, all of them shared on Facebook. And it found that the top 20 real news stories got 7 million engagements on Facebook, which means likes, comments, and shares. The top 20 fake news stories got 8 million engagements. So the top 20 fake news stories on election-related issues actually outcompeted the top 20 real news stories. And by fake news stories, I mean completely made up stuff from Russia Today, things like Pizzagate and so on, not things like MSNBC on the left or Fox News on the right. Those are within the context of mainstream news channels that were the real news stories. We're talking about completely made up stories. And ordinary private citizens were sharing them, engaging with them. This is a big problem. So we need to understand why people lie and how to prevent them from lying. And that was the focus and the evolution of my thought that we needed to focus on this issue. Well, there's another interesting dimension as you're speaking and sharing this with uh, our audience. And that is, what is the uh, secondary effect? So first of all, there's the person that tells the story. Obviously, you're going to tell us what the reasons are. I'm sure it has something Mm -hmm. to do with emotional impact. We'll look for that answer because it'll be noteworthy coming from you, I'm guessing right now. But the secondary effect is why do people then take that and amplify on it to a point that you have a million more people paying attention to trash and than the real news? So let's talk about the number one issue, which is why do people misrepresent themselves in the first place? That's, that's a key point, And that's going to really have a segue from what we talked about in our previous interview. We'll come back after the break and we'll talk about that secondary effect, why people buy it and what they do with it. So one of the reasons, these two issues are actually interrelated. One of the reasons that people lie is because they perceive it as benefiting their tribal group. Whatever group that they associate themselves with, they perceive a benefit to that group if they lie. And that is something that research shows is more likely to make them lie. Now, research shows by Dan Ariely and other scholars that all of us have the potential to lie. Well, the vast majority of us. There is a small, very small amount of people who are pathological liars. There is a small amount of people who are always, always, always honest. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. Now, which among us has not made a white lie in order to spare someone hurt feelings in a non-malicious manner? in a manner that won't hurt anyone, just a white lie. My wife might tell me that, you know, this shirt makes me look good or something like that. And I might tell her that the the dress makes her look good. That's a white lie. It's not going to hurt anyone. That's fine. So, and then we share more malicious lies, in part because we see them as contributing to our in-group, people that we care about, benefiting them. That's one reason why we lie. Another reason 
why we lie is because we perceive that nobody will catch us lying. So we don't have punishments for lying. So that's another reason why we lie. A third reason why we lie is because we don't have reminders of ethical, honest behaviors. There was an interesting study which showed that if students are shown a copy of the Ten Commandments before they're taking a test, they're much less likely to report cheating on the test than if they aren't shown a copy of the Ten Commandments as an example of reminders of ethical behavior. So that's another reason why people don't lie. They are not reminded of the need for appropriate, honest, ethical behavior. And so these are all dimensions of what causes us to lie. And then the fourth dimension is if we see other people around us lying. If we see other people around us lying, deceiving us, we are much more likely to lie. And that, of course, feeds into the fake news. If we see people sharing fake news around us, that will make us much more likely to share fake news. So that's the answer to your first question. Well, stop for a second, because this is so interesting. And it does remind me of some of the things we talked about before. But I think it's interesting because you use the word tribal. And that tribal word does take us back into far, far prehistory. Because what it's saying is, from an elemental level, the way we've moved ahead as groups is we seek group approval. We want that group approval. And a person who is not telling the truth is seeking some authoritative leadership position in terms of knowledge and power in that group to say, look, I know more and I'm going to help you guys out. I'm going to take care of you. So there's a kind of a lone ranger position. I'm smart. I know you're stupid, nothing personal, but I'm going to tell you this answer that if you listen to me, uh, we're going to get it done, which then puts that person in a position of power and authority. And I thought one of the things you were saying, I was listening two, three, and four, I was listening for, and you kind of said this, but you didn't. And I'm sure it's down the list in, in the things that occur that, that don't prevent a person from lying. And that is, I don't know if I said that correctly, but there's no accountability. A person who is in that position with the group, by default, please tell me your opinion about this, by default has very little, they, at least they imagine that they have very little accountability. That's why they think they can get away with it. So there's no inherent built-in system for accountability. That was the point about when people don't believe they'll be caught lying, which yeah. is the accountability mechanism. So if people, I don't think that they're going to be caught lying, they're much more likely to lie. I got it. So yeah, that's, that is very interesting because then that does a given opportunity for a person who is who is lying and in a political situation to embellish and create a more leadership position by creating, I think, an affect of fear, an affect of answers, that somehow it's a consolation prize. I've got the consolation prize and I know. So if you put me in position, I can actually take care of you effectively because you as a diminished person don't know how to take care of yourself. So then because you're a helpless victim out there and you're running around with no resources, then if you identify me as a leader, then I can actually take care of you. So there's a certain measure of seeking control and passivity on the side of the audience group. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. So there's a domain, there's a concept called emotional contagion where people who are with leadership, with authority, they pass on their emotions to their subordinates. And if one of the emotions that the leader can pass on is tendency to accept lies and deceptions, so whoever is in a position of power models 
the kind of that her or his subordinates will then emulate. So this, if the leader takes the infantilizing route of saying, mm-hmm. I'm just going to take care of you, I'll be the patriarch, and then you don't have to do anything, just listen to me and you'll be safe, then the followers will be much more likely to adopt the infant position, the child position. Mm-hmm. So they will then adopt this attitude of believing whatever the patriarch says and accepting the patriarch's word as accurate, regardless of the truth of reality. It's so interesting. I'm going to step aside a little bit because I'm so interested in the politics because it's so absolutely applicable and germane to everything that that we're all experiencing in our lives today. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. so completely timely. That's one of the reasons I appreciate you being on. But I can tell you, I've experienced it in medicine. I mean, medicine is, is replete with individuals who are authoritative, knowledgeable, and dogmatically opinionated and don't have an open mind. We've seen it repeatedly. And, you know, being a, a learning person, I'm, I'm a learner. I'm definitely, in fact, I'm learning from you right now, and I appreciate it. So I'm always in this, it's a relative level of passivity in that Gleb is going to tell me an answer that I don't know, and I, and I do appreciate that. So I'm going to hear from him because he is more authoritative than I am. And that's, and that's a good thing. I don't have a problem with that. However, what happens is a person who has some research experience or some clinical experience, they can get into an even more authoritative position. And this happens in medicine, as I said, this is the only way to do it. They get Mm. reductionistic in their thinking. And then of course we get into the whole thinking fast and thinking slow. It becomes reptilian because Mm. they're going to be reductionistic in, I have the answer it's eat or be eaten, kill or be killed, this is me, and I'm telling you, and drives that whole conversation to a much more reptilian uh, lack of time consciousness, lack of complexity, uh, reductionistic way of thinking, which I think does appeal to the masses. It's easy to think in an emotional gut-level way, and it's very dangerous. So that we can come... If you want to talk about why people accept lies, that's one of the reasons why people accept lies, but we can choose whether to go there or not. But I hear what you're saying about medicine. It's very easy for people to get territorial and try to protect their arrangement of power. One of the things that we'll talk about later in the interview, the pro-truth pledge at protruthpledge.org has a behavior. One of the truth-oriented behaviors is deferring to experts. And so I'm happy to defer to you. You're obviously an expert in the field of medicine and how people behave in the medical field. That's not something I have an expertise in. I have more expertise in truth and truth-seeking, and that's fine. Deferring to experts is quite appropriate when someone has more knowledge and more experience than you in a certain field because they are much more likely to have an accurate evaluation of reality. That's Mm -hmm. a very wise behavior if Mm -hmm. you want to orient toward the truth because Someone who's an expert, you know, my car mechanic is going to know much more about the car than I know about the car. I'm going to defer to her if I'm going to be dealing with the car and so on. It's a, it's a very simple thing once you bring it down to an everyday level. In the same way that a climate scientist will have much more experience about why climate changes than somebody else, than, than a politician and so on, than a coal mining executive. Well, then to take that discussion a little bit further and I'd be interested in your comments on this, it sounds like the next step for that person in authority is humility. Mm -hmm. Because what happens if the person in authority is not a humble person, 
they are going to perpetuate and uh, proliferate their feeling of being correct and be less likely to hear alternative positions that are associated with change in information from another source. So other sources become less significant for them because they're then unconsciously, unwittingly trying to establish themselves even more effectively as a resource of power in that tribe. It's really dangerous when a person in authority chooses not to defer to people who have expertise on a certain topic. People in authority don't have expertise in many topics when they, many people who are in subordinate positions have much more expertise on a specific topic. And it is unfortunate when people in authority tend to play the game of shooting the messenger, when person brings them bad news, news they don't like to hear that somehow goes against their inherent interests or political interests, they would tend to deny the information and punish the person who brings them this information. So that's kind of a common activity I do with consulting. When I go into companies and I address the denial of reality by higher level authority figures, you know, how do you do that? How do you play those politics and address this problematic situation when a person authority plays the game of shooting the messenger. So, yeah, that I totally understand that. can be very tense for that. you when you're hired to come in and do something. <laughs> you have to find, tread carefully on who's, that would be interesting because it would be challenging. I'm sure you'd have to use some humor to do it because to get into that situation, because a lot of times the person who hired you to come in wants a transformational experience for their tribe. What I use is a strategy called eGrip. That's emotions, goals, rapport, information, positive reinforcement, eGrip. So what I do first is figure out the emotions of the person who's involved. Let's say a leader of a department who is concerned about the department's status, but who perceives that because she leads the department, therefore the department must be doing well. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a a gut intuitive feeling. The department may or may not be doing well, but she perceives that because she's leading it and she perceives herself as a good leader, then the department must be doing well. So you have to first realize the emotions. Then you need to establish shared goals. So you can talk to this person about, hey, look, we have a shared goal of the department being profitable in the long term. So we want to make sure that, you know, three years out, the department is really profitable as well as in the short term and medium term. And then you want to build rapport. You want to see, want to make sure this person trusts you and you want to talk about, hey, what are your goals for the department? How do you want to make sure that it's profitable and so on? Then you want to go to information. And that's where you talk about the things that she may be uncomfortable with and where, hey, you know, this product, it looks like this product is currently not as profitable as you might want it to be. How do we get to where in three years this product will be profitable? And so by that time, she already has trust for you and you have shared emotions and you have shared goals and you have directed her to the three-year horizon as opposed to the six-month horizon. And you can tell her at that point, this is uh, one of the points where I bring up the pro-truth pledge and say, hey, let's orient toward facts, let's orient toward truth, and let's make sure that we're seeing reality clearly. You know, it's to no one's benefit to lie and to not have a clear view of reality. And that strong leaders are well known for changing their minds based on new information. And then finally, though, as she changes her mind, I bring in positive reinforcement and say, hey, this is wonderful. It's really hard to make this 
change uh, in your policy for the department if it's not an easy thing to do, it's not intuitive. So it's very admirable that you're able to make this change. That's the way that leaders are really made. Leaders are made, not born. And one of the strengths of leaders is being able to change their minds based on new information. So that's a really pretty easy strategy that I teach uh, called eGrip that helps people at all levels overcome those who deny reality based on some negative emotions. That's great. It sounds fantastic. You know, what we're going to do is have you and I are going to have a moment of silence while we do a little break here. But I'm going to ask this question for you to think about when we get back because you've done such a good job of laying this out. I think we come back and we finalize our interview here. I think one of the things that's really important, and you've alluded to it a couple of times, I'm going to ask you to tell us how we as individuals, as individuals in the world, can actually come together with this whole process of understanding and taking more individual responsibility to help people hold them accountable. And what's your process for that on a larger level, not when you're doing consultation, but the larger level that you have in mind. So folks, hang with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Well, welcome back, folks. And this is Dr. Gleb Zapersky, and he's out there at the University of Ohio, and he is talking some serious stuff with us because everybody knows that the leadership of the group, the tribe leadership, is how we can, if it's working right up there, we're all going to be in much better shape. And if it's not working well up there, which it obviously is not working well in our current uh, political agenda, because we just spend so much time talking about who's telling the truth and who's not, and so many people saying, look, I'm telling the truth, when they're obviously not. I mean, it's it's a wild time. So the question is that I'm putting to Dr. Sapersky is, what can we do, Gleb, about this as a larger society? Where does this conversation take us? And uh, what, what do you recommend? So the main thing that we need to do is for each person to take personal accountability for changing the society around us. If you think back to the environmental movement that started in the 1960s, we have basically a system problem. Our system of information is broken, just like our system of capitalism and pollution was broken. Each capitalist 
factory had an incentive to pollute and they were getting less individual damage to their personal health from polluting than they were doing from polluting. So our system was broken. In the same way, our information ecosystem is broken. We to come together, just like the environmental movement came together to address the pollution of the environment, of clean air and water, we need to address the pollution of truth and politics. And just like each person took individual accountability to coordinate together with a larger movement to do things like recycling and composting and pushing politicians, public figures to promote environmental legislation, it didn't take that long. The book Silent Spring was published in 1962. That was the start of the modern environmental movement. And by 1970, President Richard Nixon created the Environmental Protection Agency. It was only eight years for the real takeoff of the environmental movement. And we need to do the same for a pro-truth movement to address the pollution of politics in our environment, the pollution of truth in our environment. And that's what my forthcoming book, Pro-Truth, Fighting Fake News and Post-Truth Politics, What Behavioral Science Talks About. How do we launch a pro-truth movement? And that centers around the pro-truth pledge at protruthpledge.org, which both I and Charles have taken. So again, for listeners who are following along, it's the pro-truth pledge at P-R-O-T-R-U-T-H-P-L-E-D-G-E.org. And that's a way of coordinating together everyone, every one of you who cares about facts and truth in our society, to go to protruthpledge.org and sign the pledge to commit to truthful behaviors. There are 12 truthful behaviors that research in behavioral science, in things like uh, psychology, behavioral economics, cognitive neuroscience, and other fields, shows correlate with truthfulness. Things like fact-checking information to confirm it's true before accepting and sharing it. Things like reevaluating if your information is challenged and retracting it if you can't. Asking people to retract information that reliable sources have disproved, even if they're your, your allies, and celebrating those who retract incorrect statements and update their beliefs toward the truth. Eight more. Folks, this is simple. This is easy. This is something that each of you, each of you can do to take accountability and make a change in the system that we're currently facing. Because if the system is broken and you're not doing anything, you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. Well said, and I can tell you, as a person who's taken the truth pledge, they don't hawk you, folks. There's not You're not on somebody's email list and getting a bunch of trash mail. I'm, the issue is they're looking at having some kind of organization to individuals who are really thinking about the larger picture and bringing them together because really the individuals are the, are the group. The citizenry are the people that makes ultimately make the decisions. And so what Gleb is saying, hey, we have a citizenry out there that very frequently hasn't thought about these things in, in the way that he is currently thinking about it. He's, that's why I'm so grateful to have him on, because I think it's important to think about these things. And he's not the only person thinking about this, a Nobel Prize winning economist who's written a book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And how do you pronounce his last name? Kahneman? Kahneman, that's right. Dr. Daniel Kahneman has this idea. He's very clear about this idea that we got to get away from reptilian primitive thinking, mm -hmm. which has, is not related to time and the future of humankind. It's just related on, I'm going to eat you, kill you, or have sex with you right now, and we're not going to talk about the future. And we got to get away from that. It looks like it's utilitarian. It's actually anti-utilitarian because it's, 
it's bleeding the system by making impulsive decisions. And so what happens is the, the future is complex, ladies and gentlemen. You know that, or you wouldn't be joining us on this conversation here. The future is complex, but if there is a solution to the complexity, by changing the way we're thinking in a more constructive way, well, and I think Dr. Sapersky has some serious answers for it, I would encourage everybody here to go over and take the pro-truth pledge. And, you know, it sounds a little bit disrespectful, but to be in that group that is encouraging the process of changing our decision-making process. Absolutely. And I think one of the Daniel Kahneman's research is integrated into the pro-truth pledge. So things like fact-checking information to confirm it's true before accepting and sharing it, just to take the first basic behavior. That's slow thinking. You have the fast thinking, the gut intuitive thinking. And that thinking is very antithetical to truth because we as human beings, one of the reasons we accept false information is because our initial response to any information, any information that we get from the environment is to accept it as accurate, unfortunately. But that's the way that we engage with our environment. The first instinct is to accept the information as accurate and then only by training ourselves to be skeptical and critical of this information can we choose to fact check information before accepting it as accurate and sharing it with others. Unfortunately, the way we are set up as human beings is that whoever gets to us first, whoever shouts the loudest, whoever has the most money can outshout the truth tellers because the liars don't have to be telling the truth. They can just be spending their money into having the biggest megaphone. And unfortunately, we as human beings tend to react to whoever has the biggest megaphone as though they're telling the truth. So in order to be more civilized and not be our savage selves, we need to be oriented toward being skeptical of this information. And the pro-truth pledge does that. We have a study at Ohio State that proves that people who take the pro-truth pledge are much less likely to share misinformation. And public figures who take the pro-truth pledge are held accountable. So the more private citizens take it, the more public figures will be incentivized to take it because they'll have a better reputation as a result of taking it. So this is for everyone public figures and private citizens alike. And this is a way that we can actually be more civilized, go toward more of the sloth can fix the absolute disaster that lies are bringing into our society. And I encourage everyone to start in the solution and help bring hope to our society. Well said, Dr. Tsipersky. We really appreciate it. When is your book and I'll say it one more time, it's the pro-truth politics fighting post-truth politics and alternative facts with behavioral science. Sounds like it's going to ring true for our core brain journal audience. Now, when is that book going to be up on Amazon, Gleb? Oh, gosh. I hope it will be up this year. It will depend on when. So I'm right now talking to Cambridge University Press about when they'll be able to get it out. So oh, yeah, we'll so- see. It's a little early to ask you. I apologize. And no worries. No worries. I'm, I'm you, hoping it will be this year. Well, when you get it, you let us know because then I'll add Absolutely. it to the show notes because these recordings are going to remain green. You know, as long as I'm around, we're going to keep kicking up the information. And when you do, I'll put it on and we'll add on this one as well. We'll get some folks in on it. So really appreciate you taking the time. It's interesting. It's not something we can just talk about casually, although I think we've managed to talk about it fairly casually. 
I think it's one of these things you want to get into and really appreciate the overall, the profound significance on many levels of our lives. And really, that's everything you're talking about is what we're trying to do here at Core Brain Journal, to tell you the truth. Because we're trying to get experts who are going to come in and weigh in and say, guys, this is my take on it. Now, our audience may not agree with every guest that we have on here. They may not. But the point is, we're enlarging the conversation for consideration of the complexity of realities that we all have to deal with. And thank you so much for sharing your perspective. I mean, you're, you're a really bright guy, and you've got some very thoughtful, good process points. And, and so uh, I know we really appreciate you coming on board. Thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to have a great conversation with you. Thank you. So listen, when your book comes out, we'll have you on, on another level. There'll be something else to talk about. So if it's the end of this year, well, whenever, well, this is the beginning of the year, obviously the end of this year, beginning of next year, whenever it comes out, we'll, we'll get on and do it. Excellent. Thanks, Lev. You have a good evening. You too. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.